You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. Once again, take out your copy of the Word of God and head to Romans chapter 8. It's where we'll be this morning and for a little while. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 1, as we'll look at, as you're making your way to Romans 8, I've got a couple pictures from, I believe this is from Sonia, right, from last week? Okay, I didn't make sure, name wasn't on there, but these are great. So Sonia's got this, we were talking about this waging war back in chapter 7, and the waging war, and the, the uh, do the right thing, do the evil thing, which way, the law of the mind, and the question, that question of Paul, wretched man, who will deliver me? And then Sonia gave us the answer on the flip side. You can flip it over. Victory. Christ has delivered. I can now fight sin. And I love the t-shirt. Jesus is victor. And that's who we have in Christ. So thank, thank you, Sonia, for pointing that out. That's a visual representation of where we were last week. And I love it when you kids are you're listening and you're tracking and then fitting that in uh, as you see fit. Well, hopefully by now you're at Romans 8. We're just going to read verses 1 through 4 this morning and and look at this today together. So let's listen to God's Word, read it together, reading from the ESV here, but starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Would you join me in prayer once again? Lord, now as we come to study these four verses and what you have sovereignly, providentially put in these verses for us to glean of your great salvation, Lord, I pray we would, we would glean through your Spirit what you have written here. Lord, I pray for the hearts listening and for the preacher preaching that you would be exalted and glorified, that Christ would be magnified in what we see in your word before us. And Lord, may we go out from here to a world lost in sin with this message of hope in Christ. Renewed and proclaiming. Guide us in that, we would pray today. In your name, amen. Many of you have probably heard of the Airbnb. It's a great thing. Uh, Or or was it VRB, Verbo? That sort of thing. These online places, you can get a, you can get a room somewhere. You can get an entire house. Uh, unlike a hotel, you can have a whole house, and they are just cropping up. I was looking on our last trip to Dubuque. There's just, there are more and more places. Everybody's got one. Maybe you have one. I don't know about that. Uh, but there are these places. You get this whole house to yourself. I want you to consider today, as we come into chapter eight here of Romans, that we are going to spend about an eight- or nine-week stay in the best Airbnb that there is. There may not be an ocean view. 
or view to the mountains, or it's not close to popular attractions, but I think it's, it's considered one of the richest chapters in Scripture, and that's where we get to hang out for the next however many weeks uh, we're in here. I pray as we study this chapter that when we leave chapter 8, whenever that's going to be, it, at some point we will, uh, we've got Christmas coming, so I don't know if we'll change, uh, might go in a different direction for a little while with Advent, um, come back to it next year, but that we would come and leave chapter 8 encouraged with a new joy in Christ, having stayed at this greatest of, of places to rest in here in chapter 8. I'd even encourage you as we get into this, it's only 39 verses long. Many of you know parts. Maybe you've memorized this whole chapter before. Take time to just reread it again. Read the whole chapter as a whole and take time to do that. Today, we're just starting in these first uh, four verses. And so we're going to head here. I think I had some, usually I, I aim in my notes and my studying for about seven pages of notes or, or, well, actually five. I think here I had seven or eight pages. I don't think it'll be that long. I've shrunk it down. But um, we want to look at these verses, one kind of one by one. What is the Lord saying here? How do we understand this? So let's head into verse 1 and look at this together. Here is this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you were to translate this particular verse, this sentence from the original Greek, the very first word you get to in the Greek is uden. And you don't have to know that word, you don't have to know Greek, but that's the first word. And uden is a word that means no or none or nothing. If you've got an English translation, ESV, NASB, NIV, I don't know if, I, don't, I didn't look up King James, you've got your fifth word is the word uden is no. You can count them out there, but your fifth word is that word no. It's, of course, it's connected to no what? No condemnation. But just note, that's the first word to start this, this whole chapter 8. Nothing, no, none begins this. And this sentence, I think, is really, it's an emphatic note at the beginning of this chapter. So Paul is saying, he's saying, therefore, or in summary, or to conclude in a way, there is no condemnation. If we think of condemning someone that's condemned, we think of judgment, or someone is condemned to to death or to life in prison. You think of that, that judgment word is in there. So here, here Paul says, no, there, there's none of that. There is no pronouncement of guilt, no pronouncement of punishment, no penalty. And though Paul, as we just saw in chapter 7, though he's a wretched man that he is, and he's wrestling with the mind and the flesh, yet he can say, now, presently, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Paul put it this way back in chapter 5, verse 16. He said, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, Adam. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Or verse 18 of chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
So what's the basis? Why can Paul indeed say, there is therefore now no condemnation? And it is once again this last phrase for those in Christ Jesus. We must never move far beyond this. This verse and in Christ alone in our lives. That Christ is our hope. Christ is our life. Christ is our victory. There's verse alone, in a way of speaking, all the Bible is worth all the Bible, but there's a way in which we could say this verse is worth the entire chapter. Hang tight here. Are you in Christ? You are not condemned. And I think as the chapter goes on, and we're going to wrestle back and forth with the flesh and then the Spirit, I would just encourage us, come back again and again to the first, there is there There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A wonderful verse, pretty short verse even, to memorize and to hang on to. But there are other verses that follow and they support what Paul has just said. They kind of answer, why? What's the cause? Why can Paul be so bold to say nothing, uden, no, nothing? There is no condemnation. And so we get to verses 2 and 3. Let's look at verse 2. To start with, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, we've got law again. When Paul uses the word law here, it's helpful to consider, does Paul mean, does he mean the Mosaic law? Is he talking about the commandments here? We saw... Uh, or last week, like we saw, the, is he talking about a principle, kind of a law as a principle or a mode or an operation at work? And I think here it's this idea of principle or operation at work when, within us, that one is either operating under the law of sin and death, or one is operating under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So let's look at these two in particular. I want to look at the last law first this law of sin and death. And that's really what we've been dealing with in chapter 7. Paul, back in 7, verse 23, he just spoke of this law of sin. He said, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then verse 25 Paul said, So I, my, I myself, I, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh. I serve the law of sin. And yet within that, there is another law at work, and it's this law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. None other, the Spirit of life, none other than the Holy Spirit. John 6.63, you could look at it more so, but there Jesus says quite succinctly, it is the Spirit who gives life. He says the flesh is no help at all. And there in John 6, D.A. Carson makes this note regarding the Spirit and this connection to life. He says, One of the clearest characteristics of the Spirit in the Old Testament is the giving of life. And then Carson says, In this Gospel, he's referring to John, we've already been introduced to the Spirit's role in the, the new birth, born again by the Spirit. And so here the Spirit gives life. 
elsewhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says the letter or the law, in that case the Mosaic law, it kills, but the Spirit gives life. By the way, we don't have time. I don't think we have time. 2 Corinthians, if you want to just look, as I was looking over 2 Corinthians 3, you could just go there and I think it would just fill in all where we're at today. And I think you see just similar themes, but that could be on your own. And then going into chapter 4, and actually we'll get to chapter 5. It's just, just keep reading, so, but read your whole scriptures. But it's, it's this life in the Spirit. And this life... And the Spirit is in direct connection to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. So I think there's, in a Trinitarian way of speaking here, it's God the Father is at work through His life-giving Spirit, granting life by revealing the Son to the regenerated heart. And so in verse 2, this law of the Spirit of life has set you free again in Christ Jesus. No longer are those in Christ captive to this law of sin and death. And we saw this in Romans chapter 6 and verses 17 and 18. Paul says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. I think of spirit, heart work, Ezekiel 36 or Jeremiah 31. You've been, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And, Paul says, having been set free from sin, have then become slaves of righteousness. Or chapter 6, verse 22. But now again, it's the same, the same Greek word we're working with in, in verse 2 of chapter 8 here, where it says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Or, Referencing 2 Corinthians 3, this is verse 17, where it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Or Galatians 5.1 tells us, For freedom Christ has set us free. So, the Spirit of life in the heart of every believer has given eyes and a heart to see and abide in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ, and the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ. And so we get to verse 3, and it takes us deeper and deeper regarding just what God has done for us. Look now at verse 3. For God. See these fours here? They're just backing up. What about this no condemnation? Well, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life sets you free. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now we'll get to verse 4, but let's just take a moment with verse 3. Though we saw in verse 2 this, this law of the Spirit, law of sin and death, I think acting as a, a principle or an operation, I think... Paul has in mind here when he talks about God has done what the law, I think now we're looking at this law of Moses or the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments we think of. Paul notes this in Galatians chapter 3. He says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the law is powerless to save. It cannot give life. 
And that's not because the law is bad. Remember Paul, the law is good. It's holy. It can't give life. Why? Because we are bad. We are weak. Leon Morris writes this. He says, the, the fault is not in the law, but in the flesh. Previously, he, Paul praised the law as good, and the same view underlies this pas- passage. It's, it's our weakened flesh that in and of ourselves, we cannot fulfill the requirements of the law. And Paul's going to say in verse 8, later on as we get to it, he's going to say, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those in the flesh stand condemned. And, and, and yet, in the midst of that, verse 3 is talking about what has God done? God has done what the law could not do. And how did he do this? And that's what we see laid out in verse 3. ESV says, by sending. God sent his Son. John 1 would say, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Or 1 John 4.11, God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's what we're going to celebrate this Advent season near, not yet, coming up of Christ coming. And there's two descriptions here. Uh, he came that, that Christ came, Paul notes here, in the likeness of sinful flesh and then for sin. Let's look at those separately here. That the Son came in the likeness of sinful flesh. This does not mean, and we could go in more detail, John MacArthur does, you could look that up, but Jesus, this does not mean Jesus came in sinful flesh, that He was sinful. Jesus was not sinful. He's God. He is God. But He did come fully in the flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. The, the classic text here would be Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8. through eight. It says this of Christ, that though, though Christ, though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We would say, I just tie that here, the likeness of sinful flesh. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there... On that cross, Jesus died for our sins. Or as verse 3 puts it, for sin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Galatians 1 speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Or 1 Peter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, sinless, for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Paul's use of this, this little phrase, for sin, you find it in your Scripture, it almost gets lost in there. It's just, it's tiny and it's just, it almost gets lost as you're trying to read through and sending and likeness and condemning and righteous require, and But there it is, for sin. And it's weighty. It's weighty because I think it does echo the Old Testament that speaks 
much in a similar way of sin offerings. The offerings were for sin. This idea of the sin offerings of the Old Testament. And yet those Old Testament offerings, according to Hebrews 10, they could never take away sins. But God's eternal redemptive plan sent Jesus in the flesh for sin. And thus we get to God It's saying He, I think that's God here, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, this is a a bit hard, a little tricky. There's different interpretations on this, this particular clause here that He condemned sin in the flesh. Different interpretations. One would refer more to the, the condemnation of sin in our flesh, that our sin was condemned in our flesh, kind of like a verdict. One writer says that like a verdict that goes against sin and thus sin is condemned. That might maybe take the flesh of, and I meaning our flesh. Or a question might be another way would be looking at it, does this refer to Christ becoming a curse for us? The condemnation placed on Him on the cross that God would condemn sin in the flesh of Jesus Himself on the cross. And I I wrestled as I'm studying this. I'm looking at one commentary and someone else. And how do we think through this? And it probably won't surprise you to just say, I think we're on safe ground to conclude. It's, it's both, but not in a way like it's either or, but the one is directly related to the other. If you're following me at this point, hopefully you are. And if not, go back and you can listen to it later. Here's, here's why. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. We're back in 2 Corinthians. Just go there sometime. Uh, It says, For our sake He, that is God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we we might become the righteousness of God. This, This bearing of our sin by Christ on the cross is the means by which in our own lives the power of sin is broken in our own flesh. And I think what verse is most helpful is Galatians 3. I've I've rattled off a lot of verses today, but I'd like you to go there to Galatians chapter 3. It's not far. Just head head right in your Bible. You'll pass 2 Corinthians. Don't take time to read it now. Head to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 once you all are there and I am there. There we are. Here's a question going into this, and I think we'll find help here. How is it that you can be assured that before God you will not stand condemned? How how is that? What is your assurance that you will not stand condemned before God? How can you resist the devil or Satan's attacks when your condemnation is thrust into your life and, and you stand accused and justly condemned? How can you face the day when sin has sprung up once again in your heart and life? How can you be sure that, yeah, forgiven at the moment, that your life won't be deserving of condemnation in the future? And of course, the answer is never far from the cross. Look at what Paul says, same author, Galatians 3, verse 10. I'll read through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be 
everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. There's our condemnation. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here, Christ became a curse for us. He bore that condemnation that we deserve for our sin. That's him becoming a curse on the cross. And, here's the both and or the one leading to the other, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He broke sin's hold on us, and so we are set free in him. And thus all the glory of this, of our sins breaking in our lives and what Christ has done on the cross, all glory is to him. And so, in the words of Paul here, God has done. This is what God has done for us in Christ. He has sent His Son humbly to earth. He sent Christ for sin. Christ was cursed, took our sin on Himself on the cross, condemned in that sin so that we might stand not condemned in our own selves. Now, head back to Romans 8 and verse 4. Let's look at Romans 8 now, the last verse that we're going to look at today. And we've got an in order that. So he condemns sin in the flesh. Now verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now as we read this last verse, at least for us, and if we read it, okay, he's... he's uh, there's this righteous requirement of law fulfilled in us. Us who? Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And it might make it seem like, wait, does this righteous requirement now depend on my walking? And now is Paul, after all of this, all of Romans, is he pointing to something we must do? And the answer is no. There's no condemnation. But we do need to think carefully at the, the, the coming together of these phrases and what this looks like. Our righteousness is not our own. It is imputed to us. It's Christ's righteousness. Therefore, we're declared righteous, not on the ground of us, but on the basis on the ground of Christ's righteousness. And in the Old Testament, you had this this blessing for obedience and the cursing for the the disobedience. Christ fulfills the law. He's the end of the law, Paul is going to say. He takes upon Himself the curse due to us. And also, so in that we are blessed. And we're able to live in the presence of God because of what Christ has done. We're able to live in His presence through this Son. But, that's that's that justification being declared righteous. But justification has implications. It It flows out and it flows out into 
deeds and what it looks like to live and walk. There's a new life, and that life looks new. And it is the Spirit who gives us life in Christ. And so justification naturally will be followed by sanctification. This growing in holiness. And this, this walk that's not according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now Matthew Henry writes, writes this. He says, both in our justification and in our sanctification, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled. A righteousness of satisfaction for the breach of the law is fulfilled by the imputation of Christ's complete and perfect righteousness, which answers the utmost demands of the law. And he goes on to say, a righteousness of obedience to the commands of the law is fulfilled in us when by the Spirit the law of love is written upon the heart. And that love is, according to Romans 13.10, the fulfilling of the law. And we're going to come back to that as we proceed down in the section. For now, though, just to think, there's a lot going on in four verses of the beginning of this chapter of our stay in Romans 8. We've got atonement, regeneration, justification, and then flowing out of these, sanctification. And to walk according to this spirit of life who has set you free in Christ is to walk, I think, in the, in the likeness of Christ. We're going to limp. We're going to trip. We will stumble. But let us not forget the basis upon what that which we walk. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In closing... I want to go down one route of application rather briefly. What's, what's just one application coming out of this? Other than the major fact that you live a life under no condemnation, you are free in Christ, sermon over. But how? what's some application? I'm going to make a guess that for the vast majority of you, Tuesday's election did not go the way you had hoped for. I'm, I'm just guessing. We live in a divided land. I am so thankful Roe versus Wade was overturned. And then are you sickened that, oh, by the way, this state will just vote to keep murdering the babies. There is, we are living in a land where the fear of the Lord is in many ways. It's absent. How does this passage speak into our lives in this particular time in our lives or whatever else that you are going through? I have two thoughts. Number one is thinking back and remembering. One is remembering our own as we look on the world and say, what a world in shambles. Is to, to say, what, what condemnation is in my wretched man, these shambles within me. Were it not for God's grace, we too would stand condemned. But God has done in Christ what we could not do. He's He saved us. He's given us new life. He's brought us to Himself. The the eternal fact of this passage eternally is that we are where? We're in Christ. And don't let this truth just be only, you know, just certain sermons, certain times of the year. It's it's our eternal comfort. That this, this King of Kings to whom every knee will bow, every Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, they will bow. This King of Kings is your king, and you know him. You are in Christ. 
And the surety of that is you face no condemnation. God has done what the law couldn't do and brought you to himself. We ought to rejoice in God's grace that we are in Christ. And then number two, as we live here, that Jesus has given us what we need. Jesus is alive forevermore. He's interceding for us at the Father's right hand, and He sent His Spirit into our hearts. He's given us all we need for this week and next week and for godliness until we are at home with Him. He's given us all we need to live while we wrestle with our own wayward flesh and as we live in a world that doesn't fear God. You have been equipped, you dear Christian, to walk in this present time by a Savior who loves you by dying for you, who dwells with you, and one day will take you home to be with Him. That's how you operate today in whatever vote and whatever thing is next year in whatever downward spiral there is. May you cling to where the Bible clings and to where it points us to Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we have an abundance of grace in Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, may that be the theme of our lives. And may you change us within and challenge us, Lord, even through suffering, through circumstances of the day, that you would refine us and show us more of Christ and what glorious hope we have in Christ, whom, as Milt read, the fullness of deity dwells in him. We face no hostility because we're in Christ before you, O oh God. And we have assurance in that blood of the cross. May we live in this hope. And again, Lord, as we pray that we would proclaim this hope. Lord, that we would know it ourselves. As we work through chapter 8, would you help us to know this truth ever more deeply? You who did not spare your own son, will you not also along with him graciously give us all things? We're more than conquerors through him who has loved us, through him who gave himself for us. Nothing's going to separate us. May we live in these truths and so worship you, O God, for what you have done. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.